0: Hey there, welcome back to Point of Sale, the retail supply chain show where we break down great retailers, the supply chains that move them, and the data they use to make decisions. I'm your host, Andrew Cox, and Senior Retail Analyst here at FreightWaves. And thank you so much for joining us, if you're joining us live on FreightWaves TV or FreightWaves LinkedIn. If you're listening on demand, make sure if you like what you are here to subscribe to Point of Sale or subscribe to FreightCast, where you can get all of FreightWaves audio podcasts on one tidy feed. Today is going to be an awesome episode and I am super, I am just so excited for it. So we've got Sean Henry, the CEO of Stored with us today. Stored is a really fascinating company that is making really complex things um, seem really simple, and they are being rewarded for it. They are growing crazy fast. They just charted it at number 42 on the Inc. 5,000 fastest growing companies list, beat Freightways by about 40 spots. They're the second fastest growing company in the logistics segment. Sean, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy day and doing this with me. Welcome to Point of Sale.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. Great supporters of uh, Freight Waves over the year and love working with your team. So happy to be
0: back and and chatting today. So first off, congrats on the Inc 5000. And second, I heard that you are a pretty big hip hop and rap fan. So being from the Atlanta area, I had to ask, uh, you got a favorite Atlanta rapper?
1: Oh, favorite Atlanta rapper. I'm going to have to go with uh, Gucci Man just from uh, the tenure in the Atlanta market. But if I could pick one artist, I'm I'm just going to be very basic and go with Drake.
0: (laughs) That's okay. That's cool. Yeah, I'm a, I was gonna say Killer Mike. If I had to put myself on an Atlanta uh, spotlight, I, I just love that man. I'm good to see him at Bonnaroo here with Run the Jewels in a couple weeks. Super excited. Sean, let's jump into your background, man. I usually don't want to spend too much time on background, but after hearing you on a couple other podcasts, you had this kind of remarkable tangential stories that tied together from you working on brokering your uh, your Christmas gifts to eventually getting to automotive parts on eBay and then to a, a, an automotive supplier. So just tell me about the background of the story, how you started and eventually got to the point where these people, these retailers and brands need a lot of help in the warehouse space.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You could call me somewhat of an accidental e-commerce and logistics junkie my whole life. Uh, It really started when I was very young. And uh, you kind of hit the story right on the mark, which is that I started buying and reselling my Christmas presents when I was uh, (laughs) about to go into middle school, very, very young. And I think to this day, I, I terrified my mom and still trying to get her forgiveness for asking her to drive me to UPS to to ship my Christmas presents, asking her to connect her bank account to eBay so I could get paid and more. But it just started me down this path of ultimately figuring out where we could insert ourselves within the supply chain, but also within the, the broader e-commerce uh, value stream and, and add value to customers. And so when I was really young, the only way I could impact that was ultimately in electronics. I was buying used computers, phones, breaking them into parts, reselling them online and so I was an eBay power seller. And then I kind of flipped that business over and started focusing on the automotive space, selling automotive parts online until I started buying, and importing larger quantities of automotive parts and used that experience to, to get a job at a company called Huoco Group right before college and then right when I was starting at Georgia Tech. Uh, and that's really where I started running into these problems that we solve here today at Store. It was both a global supply chain that was immensely fragmented across dozens of different third-party logistics providers. But then it was also software that was totally disconnected back from our ERP. So we couldn't do much modeling on our inventory. We couldn't ultimately deliver fast delivery standards to our customers. We were constantly overspending. We just couldn't figure out what was going on. And, and it ultimately had to do with this gap between physical logistics and the software to run your logistics. And so we started Stored ultimately to, to bring those two closer together and, and empower brands of all sizes to have more optimized supply chains and then have supply chain as a competitive advantage.
0: Jean, you have uh, called out some of these stats on the fragmentation of U.S. warehouses, and I'm sure it's very similar abroad. Uh, we can get into that later. But talk to me about how fragmented this U.S. space is and how you have attacked these smaller mom-and-pop shops that may only run a few warehouses rather than going after some of the big guys.
1: Absolutely. So one of the first stats that I was most impressed with when I started digging in on this industry was that at the time, there were over 14,000 third-party logistics warehouses in the United States. And of those 14,000 buildings, only about 4,000 of them are run by 52 companies. And those are the immensely large scale, the FedEx, the UPS, the XPO, the NFI, and more, these large logistics networks. And on the other side, you had 10,000 mid-sized providers through mom-and-pop operators. And so when looking at it, there's this high discrepancy of at the top of the end of the market, these companies can afford better technology, they can afford higher sophistication to run for their customers, higher automation, and more. And a lot of them are driven by kind of private equity-style roll-ups of, of local 3PL companies. And so we looked at it from a technology-first play at that fragmentation and said, what if we can go to that long tail of supply and, and serve as a critical partner for them and drive them revenue, drive them better technology, more automation, but also need more customers who you may just be one warehouse in Dallas, but ultimately when storage customer needs nationwide distribution, and you could be one of those stocking points, you're ultimately going to be much more successful being part of that large-scale network. And so we've started very focused on on that fragmented supply. And ultimately, how can we make all of those 3PLs more successful? Because then as part of storage network, they make our customers more successful
0: in return. Sean, thinking about building this uh, two-sided platform, right? You have to drum up demand and supply. It seems I I heard the story of you guys kind of cold calling 500 warehouses in the first week Uh to try to build up this supply. And so on the the demand side, how did you go about building that? I I think about stories, um, Pinduoduo always comes to mind with their hack of uh, social commerce, growing their uh, demand side that then kind of led them to be able to build this huge supply side. But you guys were able to connect a pretty big supply side. What was your kind of strategy going and getting out the demand?
1: Yeah, spot on. So right when we started, we realized that it wasn't going to be a supply problem. Because if I go back to that value prop, hey, 3PL, we're going to pay you more revenue. We're going to give you better technology. We're going to bind you into a broader network. Their answer is yes, we want to be a part of it. And so then we started looking on the customer side. And early on, you have to look for ways to be be scrappy and move quickly and and find a lot of customers. And so we started just the same cold calling outbound on the demand side as well. But then we also started just aggressively outreaching and uh, looking at different import documents that were available online for data sources contacting many different shippers. And we found that early on in those earliest days where we're starting to build our software, we're starting to build our network, our best value prop we could offer some of those shippers day one was just the network itself and being experts at where should you place your inventory, how are these different 3PLs operating for customers and more before the technology platform was where where it is today. And so as a result, a lot of our first customers were Chinese-based importers, European importers coming to the U.S. who needed someone more on the ground who could advise them and be that critical partner. As we started to get that volume flowing, we started building our software around our earliest customers and our earliest 3PL partners. And one of our core values here at Store is learn and iterate because we've just continued to, to iterate and iterate against uh, our software roadmap, our mission as a company, and, and more uh, as we've scaled volume of customers. But from day one, the mission has really remained to uh, be both the technology and the network infrastructure to, to power a company's global distribution.
0: Sean, it's a little uh, different at stored where your customers are not only customers they're also partners uh in this whole you know in this in this battle together and the great thing about partnerships is everyone gets to every party gets to focus on what their strengths are right the warehouse operator gets to focus on the efficiencies and moving product from a to b the brand gets to focus on growing it engaging with customers what are the core strengths that for, that stored gets to focus on what are you guys' core strengths
1: Yeah absolutely like- I think our core strengths are being the technology glue between all of those parties. So giving really robust visibility and high service level of your orders, your inventory in a multi-node environment. So we pair the 3PL and the shipper by providing that robust technology uh, interfaces between them. I think another expertise is data science. Uh, We help our customers and our warehouses decide how to place their goods across our network, how to operate their facility, what their throughput should be, Um, which leads to one of our last strengths, which I think is just operational excellence. We have a very robust operations team across the country and uh, there's a warehouse excellence team as part of that and they have an immense ability to go implement and launch new partners in our network and train up our best 3PLs in many ways and and share cross-functional practices that we've learned from other sites. Say, here's how you achieve really world-class robust SLAs. We've met many facilities who maybe they're processing 500 to 1,000 orders a day when we meet them and to scale up with our customer demand, sometimes we have to get in the 5,000 plus a day range for different brands, different customers. And so training them on how to scale up and, and meet those different service levels has been such a robust part. So I think technology, ultimately our, our broader network and, oper- and data science, then ultimately our operational expertise is, is how we serve both sides of the market very effectively.
0: So Sean, we talked about how you guys have built kind of both sides of this marketplace, but I do want to talk about how you guys have built Stored itself, the company, and because this is something we we talk about with technology providers getting into the freight uh, industry and vice versa. You have freight executives that want that go and join, um, you know, freight tech startups, but there is this this fine balance between logistics um, expertise and tech expertise. I wanted to ask you what's been more difficult for you guys to source uh, as a company. I know you guys are in the tech hub right there and this vibrant tech hub in Atlanta now, but what's been more difficult, finding kind of old school logistics expertise or attracting this tech talent?
1: Yeah, it's a really a great question. I think it hasn't been uh, finding either of them in a silo that I would list as the hardest problem. I think the hardest problem is ultimately finding how they, they cross together and how they collaborate and how we learn from each other. We have great product managers, data scientists, and eng- engineers and architects who they get to learn from some of these seasoned logistics professionals. What are the industry standards? What are uh, table stakes that we have to do, but what can we innovate on? And it's it's fostering that collaboration so that we have the logistics expertise needed to move products for enterprise customers with world-class service levels and, and high levels of trust and more, but pairing that with these very modern technologists who are able to innovate and push the boundary on what's possible. And finding out that that, that collaborate, collaborative middle ground and, and where to push and pull has been one of the most exciting parts stored. In is really what's the most innovative part of Stored and where we find the most opportunity to keep pushing the boundary for our customers.
0: Sean, companies like Stored and and like FreightWaves, companies that are growing super fast and they're not in Silicon Valley and they're focused on freight and logistics, Uh, how do we, companies like you and I, ours um, and other companies like us, how do we continue to attract the talent that is necessary to push this industry forward, to push freight tech to be the next fintech, so to say? Absolutely, it's a great question. I think part of it is uh, having a very ambitious mission. I think a lot of companies can be
1: the next X for Y industry. But ultimately, creating a new category and a new industry is really important. And bringing the technology and the physical aspects of your logistics closer together in one platform is a large, audacious new goal for, for a lot of people. And I say that because when you look at a lot of fintechs, what's exciting for technology employees and, and employees across the globe to join them is there's oftentimes 10, 15, 25 billion plus opportunities to build companies in, the, in that segment. And I think in the supply chain segment, there's an opportunity to do just the same thing. We're at the intersection of uh, over the $200 billion third-party logistics industry here in the U.S. and almost a $20 billion supply chain management software industry. And so when you paint the picture for a candidate and how those overlap, what your roadmap is to bring them closer together, and how you can create really a, a new category and a new model for your customer, it gets candidates excited. It gets customers excited. It gets investors excited. But ultimately, it helps push you forward as a business and and proliferate that mission you're trying to push forward in the market. So I think that's one aspect. And I think the other aspect comes back to that that blend between the the logisticians and the technologists. And a lot of Silicon Valley companies have amazing benefits from from equity across employees to paid time off and, and more that some traditional logistics companies don't have. And we do our absolute best to bring those technology forward, Silicon Valley forward benefits to all of our employees here at Stord. And I think it opens the boundaries and, and opens the sphere for all types of employees to join. And I think the last aspect is simply training. We do a lot to try to train on supply chain for, for those employees who have never been in supply chain before and they're joining. Because as much as we want the legacy perspectives and the industry perspectives and have literally hundreds of employees from industry at Stord, we also wanna foster new ideas and, and it takes that foundational learning knowledge of what are the supply chain fundamentals I need to know that I can that I can build off of. And so. All three of those have been really exciting opportunities for us to to solve here at Stored and push forward to create a great culture, but also a a very fast-growing team. We started last year uh, in January of 2020 at 40 people on our team, and we're over 250 today, and we should end this year around 350. So uh, we constantly have to bring in and and train amazing new world-class employees on our team.
0: Yeah, I was going to finish the episode later on with the fact that you guys have 52 open jobs online. Unbelievable, man. Uh, Congratulations on the growth. So hey, I wanted to, you you talk about building a new model, something that can excite uh, people from the outside, but also people from the inside. And and that is what you're doing. You framed it uh, on a previous podcast as re-intermediating, right? We have all many other industries, even portions of our industry that is looking to disintermediate and focus on connecting different parties together. But you are doing it in a different fashion. You're re-intermediating, but not with a broker, but as a platform. Just talk to me and add some color to that.
1: Yeah, it's a really great question because disintermediation oftentimes uh, can get thrown around in any marketplace network type business, but we're really reintermediating, And what I mean by that is these enterprise and, and global customers and fast-growing B2C brands, if you think back to that 14,000 3PLs and that long tail, a lot of times they can only go to the largest companies out there who have the technology, the automation, and the infrastructure to work with them. And so... By ultimately combining this network of this, this long tail of providers, these amazing world-class operators who just need more exposure to be part of a larger network, need better technology, data scientists, and more to partner with their operation, we're bringing the same great customers and volume that already exists and are already in the market with, with 3PLs and reintermediating them and, and putting that volume across other operations. And re reintermediating them through software to give them better visibility so that you can be a better long-term client of that 3PL because you have higher trust, you have higher visibility, you get real-time inventory updates, and more. And so it's really trying to create a win-win for both parties. By creating this network in this platform, we better optimize the company and the brand's inventory placement, give them better throughput costs throughout their supply chain, faster delivery times across the US. But can we also drive more revenue and better operational processes to these 3PLs? That, if done right, will only help them grow their business outside of store as well. And so we're really not trying to detract. We're really trying to create that that, uh, uh, symbiotic relationship that is a win-win for both of us on on both sides of the market.
0: John, I've heard you say that you you guys have large enterprise customers. You have small D2C e-commerce brands. But is there any kind of broad strokes depending on what types of customers have been most attracted to the offering, to store's offering? Is there any certain industries or certain niches uh, that have just been more attracted to what you're offering?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. We do work with a lot of high-end, large-scale retailers from the Dollar General and Home Depot and advanced auto parts of the world. But a segment we see a lot of excitement and a lot of fast growth in is really this mid-market omni-channel brand. These brands who are in this, call it 100 million to 500 million revenue range, who have a consumer packaged good type product. And today they're trying to sell it across a brick-and-mortar retail presence, their own e-commerce storefront, and dozens sometimes of third party marketplaces that their products are being sold on. And that creates a really complex supply chain to manage both physically to move B2B and B2C, but then technologically to manage that inventory and manage those orders across so many different channels. And so that's been a really fast growing segment of the business for us. We have a lot of the largest Amazon acquirers as customers, a lot of the largest fast-growing D2C brands, and then a lot of CPGs who have been in retail historically and now are just starting to open their own e-commerce presences and get across more channels themselves.
0: Sean, what do you make of, I'm, I'm, you probably have one of them as a customer, but what do you make of the Amazon aggregators? These are kind of, Therasio, I think is one of the bigger ones. I just kind of heard of these companies a few months ago. Of you know, These are billion-dollar brands that are raising a lot of money to go out and buy some of the most uh, prominent uh, direct-to-consumer Amazon brands. What do you make of the model?
1: Absolutely. So Thrasio, Razor Group, many of these are great customers and partners of Stored, and I think it's a great model whereby they're ultimately infusing, in a very similar way, optimization in, into the, the Amazon business they're partnering with. They're infusing technology, better supply chain practices, better sourcing practices, and more, and they're doing it through an acquisitive route, and we're doing it through a technology-first uh, reintermediation, as as we discussed prior. And so I'm a big fan of some of the, 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 the stakes and pillars of that model because I think they're helping drive more efficiency to the system overall. Um, but ultimately, they've been great customers of store because they have dozens of, of warehouses and fulfillment centers and needs across the US and, and globally to meet their customer demand with very fast shipping and very high service levels.
0: Sean, the omni-channel um, system that you just set up, or they ha- might have dozens of third-party marketplaces that they sell on. They also have their own e-commerce site. They also got a dozen, or you know, a-, a network of stores that they're also trying to sell from. Is that the most complex model that you guys help operate, or if that's not, what is uh, more complex?
1: Yeah, that's a tough one. I think sometimes the complexity can you know, even be in the things that seem simple. Meaning, a lot of the large-scale enterprise uh, consumer packaged goods, uh, manufacturing-oriented products, chemicals can be very complex to to operate a supply chain uh, with with certifications and more. And we support a lot of leading enterprises in that effort. But I think the complexity really comes down to those omni-channel brands because it becomes a question of how do you place inventory across all those different stocking points to serve your B2B and your B2C? How do you think about inventory if it's gonna be allocated to one of those two segments by channel? How do you think about your different product catalogs by channel? But ultimately, how do you think about where you're gonna drive the most revenue for you as a brand? Do you want to focus in on your core or do you want to proliferate across many different marketplaces? And we've had a lot of success leaning in closely with our customers and helping them launch more marketplaces, which oftentimes can add to the complexity of their network, but can accelerate their sales and ultimately accelerate their inventory throughput through, through, through their supply chain. So it leads them to be a more successful organization long term.
0: Sean, you answered one of my questions that I was going to ask you earlier when you spoke about how you guys share data and provide data to your warehouse partners to help them uh, become more efficient. I just wanted to ask what you know what are some of the KPIs that you are sharing with them, the things that you're working on with them that are most important, and why are they so important?
1: Yeah, really great question. So there's a lot of different KPIs we track internally across our fulfillment business, warehousing, our freight shipping, and our and our last mile parcel delivery. And they can vary segment to segment. I think one of the most critical ones we we think about is the perfect order rate, uh, which can be ultimately understanding uh, at the highest level, how, how is a company succeeding against shipping out the products they sold, uh, uh, shipping them on time, getting them to the customer on time and more. So we track deeply perfect order rates, inventory accuracy rate. One big KPI for us is ultimately speed to launch in every new market. We're trying to give our customers this platform that enables them to rapidly deploy into new sites and new warehouses with us, as opposed to take a six month process of of setting up and EDI integrating to a new local on-site WMS. And so we have customers frequently launch new warehouses in in days on our platform and rapidly expand to new markets. So all of these together, and when we look across our, our dashboards for our customers, the different KPIs internally, It's all focused around just that operational excellence that makes them trust stored as the network moving their inventory through. And then we get very, very granular with them on warehouse-specific metrics, for example, of the performance, the throughput, the inventory accuracy, the uh, labor,
0: and and more. So they can really try to granularly understand what's happening across their network. I I love that Days to Launch, by the way. You guys have just this, um, you know, almost uh, surgeon-like Aspect, you know, approach to this, and I wanted to ask about two-day shipping. I mean, Amazon. It, it seems that the pandemic really slowed their move from two-day to one-day, uh, just given the volume that they had to deal with and the challenges they had getting product into the country. But they're they're going to get there. They just opened up the new Amazon Air hub in you know northern Kentucky last week. It's we're probably months or, or quarters away from that happening. You guys' network is set up for two-day, but. What needs to happen for it to set up to one day? Will you eventually push to that? And if, if one day is the, the status quo in a couple of years, is that the end? I mean, what, what comes next? Is it always going to be ever faster and more efficient?
1: Yeah, I am personally of the belief that uh, there's an optimization curve uh, to how delivery standards affect your customer relationship. We're getting to that point where customers will actually select slower delivery or different packaging based on the environmental impact and more. So we're starting to see that trend of maybe... Two days is enough and maybe you don't need to go to the same day, same hour and more. Uh, But at the same time, STORD is building to accelerate as fast as we can uh, delivery regardless of how it's gonna affect sales because we think that brands still want it. Brands still wanna try it and understand how it affects their products and their sales. So we have hundreds of warehouses across the U.S. in our network. But we really concentrate deeply on six to seven main fulfillment hubs. And out of those hubs, I mean, we can reach over 99% today and out of those, you can reach almost 91% one day. And then if you complement those six hubs with the rest of our, our distributed nodes, there's a there's a world in which we've set up for customers where you can reach almost 18% same-day delivery to different customers. And so it's possible. It all hinges on what the customer believes is going to be right for their end the consumer who's buying their inventory on the other end. And Store tries to be the flexible but also configurable network so that they can set up what, what they believe they need for their brand.
0: Yeah, I I can't agree with you more. I actually wrote an article several months ago about kind of the case against same day. And I wrote in it some of, I've seen some great incentives that retailers have had. Uh, Timbaland is the one that kind of jumps off the page to me. They, you know, of course they make the boots for the New Yorkers and They have uh, on their website, they will offer to plant a tree in your name if you take a slower delivery time. And they ran this for like a six month period. And they saw that 14 percent of consumers were willing to take a week long delivery time just to have a tree planted in their name. So I do think there is ways that we can really that that retailers can get creative about uh, extending, taking slower um, and more, you know, just more efficient for the entire world and for their operations to get there. Hey, I wanted to ask about robotics. We've only got about five minutes here, unfortunately. Uh, you guys have partnered up with Locus. I know you've got this new innovation hub go- opening up in Atlanta. Talk to me about the facility. Talk to me about the, the robotics partnership. What are you guys looking forward to in technology inside the warehouse?
1: Absolutely. So going back to our story, which is kind of where we started here today, we're so excited about this new innovation hub and this fulfillment center we've launched in Atlanta because going all the way back to the start, we started with no warehouses and partnering with amazing 3PLs across the globe. And so five years later to to open a 400,000 square foot building in our uh, main hometown and headquarters here in Atlanta is an amazing milestone for our team, but ultimately for our customers and suppliers. The number one thing we've heard over the last few years from customers is they ultimately want to see how we can push the boundary on innovation within the facility and how we can roll that out to our other partners in our network. And same thing. The number one thing we hear from our warehouses is they'd love to come on site and train with store, to learn from store, and learn from our operations team members. And so, looking at both of these sides of the market, we ultimately decided that opening our own innovation hub here in Atlanta was going to be really well serve both sides of of our constituents, while really pushing forward our, our marketplace and our platform for our customers. And so, some of the main pieces of that have been: it's about a 400,000 square foot facility. It is going to run live customer volume, fulfilling inventory out of it every single day. But at the same time, we're going to have a lot of different testing that's going on there. A lot of our product and engineering are going to be positioned there so that they they can continue to improve many of our products, warehouse management systems and more. A lot of our operations team is going to be there on site training facility, uh, training other providers and more. Our sales team will be there with, with customers and showing them some of the different innovation we're pushing across the network. But then we're also bringing on partnerships. We we started a partnership with Locus Robotics. We're launching the facility with over 15 Locus Robots and testing how we can help make that economically available to to many of the other 3PLs in our network who can benefit from it. We have a few other planned robotics and other partnerships we're we're evaluating over the coming years. But ultimately, just to to be on-site, in-person, testing innovation, testing automation, and able to take that out across the rest of our network is something we're really excited about because We look back at that long tail, again, the largest 3PLs and fulfillment providers out there, they already use great amounts of of automation for their customers. But that long tail of providers historically doesn't have a lot of access to that from the capital intensity uh, intensity that it takes to to, to launch robotics and more. So we're hopeful that we can show these 3PLs the benefits from many of it, we can partner with them and and train uh, with them, and ultimately we can roll out more innovation, not only in our hub here in Atlanta, but across the rest of our network as well.
0: I am so excited for it, Sean. That sounds like a, an awesome space. I'm so happy that it's here in Freight Alley, uh, right here in the southeast, and I'm glad about the hub you guys are building there. Let, let me just ask you know one kind of fa- falling away question here. Is, is there any, has there been anything um, kind of really different about this year versus last year? I know last year was crazy. Uh, I'm sure people were rushing looking for space in the back half of last year, but just you know, here we are eight months into the year. Are there any big differences between last year and this year?
1: Absolutely. I think what 2020 co- top brands and what a big part of the focus was, was solve the immediate capacity needs. Your retail stores just closed and you need to shift online. You have a backlog of inventory about to hit the port and you need more space. It was a kind of go, go, go motion, land grabbing for more warehousing space across the country. But I think the scenario top retailers and large brands need for long-term agility. And what's really pivoted has been from last year seeing a lot of these large-scale capacity needs and spinning up new warehouses across the country to this year, brands approaching us from sometimes the highest level, even not even in the supply chain. Sometimes the chief digital officer or CEO of major retailers saying, we need to create a warehousing network and a strategy that is much more agile, connected, and centralized from a software perspective for the future so that if we ever face this again, we can flex, we can adapt, we can move our network as needed. So I think last year's immediate capacity crunches ultimately taught brands to really build their supply chains in cloud-like ways for the future. And Stored is really excited to support a lot of these leading retailers in that effort.
0: Sean, I can't wait to to watch you guys uh, watch from afar. You guys are are incredible. I'm excited to watch what Stored's got in store. Hey, uh, one last thing. You, you're kind of building this, um, you know, if 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 you were... I don't know, a, a, a Twitter guy. I don't, I don't know. I see you on Twitter, but you're kind of building this list of of Twitter dream accolades. It's the, the Forbes 30 under 30. You're building a unicorn. You've done the TED Talk. What are you What are you most proud of, of the things you've accomplished so far?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. I think, uh, although recent, I do think the Inc. 5000 award was one of our, our most exciting because it takes years to ultimately qualify for the Inc. 5000. So We've been really excited internally for years on, on how fast we're growing, how, uh, what we're accomplishing for customers and more. But ultimately for our entire team to really get to jump in the spotlight and show the world how much we've been growing, how much we've been partnering with shippers, and then also have a great uh, great article published by Inc at the same time. Uh, that number 42 on the Inc 5000 fastest growing companies this year was, was really pivotal and, and critical to our team. And so we're very, we're very proud of it and uh, excited to, to see where we end on next year's list.
0: Yes, sir. Me too. Thanks so much for joining me today. Taking the time. Thanks so much.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me.
0: All right, everyone. That was Sean Henry, CEO and co-founder of Stored, based in Atlanta. A fabulous company. Everybody go check them out. Thanks so much for taking the time for uh, to, to spend with us this afternoon. This has been episode 21 of Point of Sale, the retail supply chain show, where there's where we uh, talk to great retailers, uh, the supply chains that move them, and the data they use to make decisions. I do want to take a moment to thank my sponsor, ArcBest. ArcBest is more than logistics. Whatever you do, whatever you ship, ArcBest makes it easier for you to do business. ArcBest combines reliable capacity, innovative technology, and trusted relationships to take the complexity out of your supply chain and keep your shipments moving. That's what makes ArcBest more than logistics. All right, that's been it. Episode 21. We'll be back same time next week, 2.30 Eastern on Wednesday right here on Freightways TV. If you like what you heard, go ahead and subscribe to Point of Sale and to FreightCast wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week.